Hey, I'm Kaya Lamont, and welcome to a bonus episode of ConcertCast. I'm no expert on psychoacoustics or the science of sound, surprise, surprise, but I do know that sound is a vibrational wave filled with all sorts of energy. Once inside our brains, these unseeable forces transmit information into emotion. And when you direct all the sound waves into headphones, the sensation can be otherworldly. Robbie Cole is our guest on this episode, and by day, he's the CEO of Hush Concerts, and by night, he's a pioneering DJ that performs under the name of Motion Potion. Hush takes the traditional concert and even conference experience from a place full of booming sound to a personal one through headphones. From the outside looking in, it's silent, but once you're inside the experience, you're transported to a deeper sonic connection. In this episode, we're going to talk about how headphones allow one to be fully immersed, the old school technology that makes a silent disco possible, and what DJ Motion Potion likes to do before stepping up to the ones and twos. Hi, DJ Motion Potion! Hello, hello. Don't tell anyone. Robbie joins us via Zoom from an office complex in Ohio. He's made a pit stop to meet with Hush Partners while driving cross-country from San Francisco back to his Massachusetts roots. There's a vibe in the Northeast that I had sort of forgotten about. Rays of Midwest sun are beaming through the windows behind him, accentuating the positive glow that comes from being on a road trip. But he's also riding the lasting euphoria from playing at Outside Lands Music Festival in San Francisco, where he DJed a super soulful set this year. Performing on stage for other human beings and getting that energetic feedback from them is really special. There's nothing like that feeling. And there's a psychological and physiological exchange that happens um, when you're playing music for people. And I, it's, it's a great feeling. Do you have any rituals before performing? I take a lot of time and effort to prepare what I'm going to play and I try to make sure that it fits the moment or that it's something very deeply thematic that people will know coming in. So the research process and then walking through the tracks and taking time to prepare them and then practice. These people spent good money to see you play and they're choosing to see you instead of doing something else, be it Netflix or the other stage, right? So that that's an honor. They're giving you their time. There's nothing more precious than time. So it's beholden on you as a professional to get yourself in a frame of mind where you can show them that kind of respect that they deserve. For me, it's usually deep breathing, forcing myself to smile for a while so that it, it relaxes me. That's a kind of a trick you can do. Um, I do little uh, neck exercises to loosen up my body and then trust that the music itself will help you know, smooth out any additional nerves. While DJing at Bonnaroo in 2005, he was introduced to the silent disco format. He loved it so much that he merged the concept with his experiential event company at the time. And by 2015, Hush Concerts was established. They understand what the music and event industries want and moreover, what they really need. Hush is an interesting solution to a growing problem in our culture, noise and distraction. I was promoting concerts in San Francisco at that time, and we were having enormous difficulties with some of our neighbors around North Beach Jazz Festival, which is this beautiful little jazz festival we were doing in Washington Square. And we had some angry neighbors who were using noise as an opportunity to shut us down. 
And immediately when I put those headphones on, I said, this is going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of well-meaning people like ourselves, right? That's all we really cared about. And that was the goal of our company. I mean, that's still our goal. How do we be of service to you and your community? And the solution had a sweet bonus. What happens is once you take noise out of the equation, you connect with the artist way better. And if you want to have a conversation with your friends, you just take the headphones off and connect directly with them without people shouting over you. It's wonderful. What is something that people don't know about your origin story? John Miles, my former partner who left the company about a year and a half ago, and just how deep a friendship and relationship we had. We created this, we were 50-50 partners in everything. And so it created this dialectic where we had to essentially proof and prove every one of our ideas with one another and bounce all of our ideas with one another. And it could be an immensely frustrating but through conflict, we find the truth, right? Through this dialectic process, you get to the truth of things. And I love how you come to Hush as a musician first. Would you say that that helped your company? Actually, before I was a musician, I was a, I was a fan. You know, I was a jam band kid. There's so much of the music business that's more business than music. And I've tried really hard. And, and by the way, it's not just me. It was this incredible team, this family of people that all have that same perspective. Never lose sight of the fact that, that it is about music and it is about this incredible experience that people should be having. If you lose sight of that and you're worried about the numbers, then you're probably headed for disaster because people have tons of choices now. We're just music fans that happen to run a production company. Do DJs have to perform and play a little differently in the hush setting? And if so, do you sort of show them the ropes or maybe some tricks to connect better with the audience? It's a different way to fly. It's a different way to perform. And it rewards different skill sets as a performer. Um, most of the folks who've played for us before have played a silent disco before. For the ones who don't, first thing I'd show them is how to use two sets of headphones on their head so that they have a monitor. The first silent disco in the U.S. when I at Bonnaroo, there were no monitors and I didn't even know how to do that. So it was extremely tricky. That's the first thing I show them how to do. And at first, typically they're like, oh my, this is, and then they play a couple tracks and their muscle memory and their skill sets take over and it's not hard. But from a programming standpoint, from a theme and genre and set building standpoint, it does reward a different approach. So when you think about a sound system show, you go to a, a club and go listen to Deep House or Minimal, where the subs are such a big part of the experience, dubstep, right, uh, trap. It's all about waiting for that big bass line to come in and, and massage your chakras with waves of, of bass, right? Well, you don't have that in silent disco. So how are you going to give people that sort of cathartic release experience? You can do similar things with silent disco because people are actually listening. They're really listening at a hush cast. Well, if they're really listening, what do I want to say? It allows you to play music that's a lot more evocative, conversational stuff with a lot of um, sing-alongs, uh, creating spaces for people to chant or sing or shout. But that's part of what I tell them before they go on. You know, you, they're really going to be listening. So think about what you want to tell them. And don't be afraid to stretch. Don't be afraid to play that crazy track you've always wanted to play because you know they'll be listening. They're not going to be walking away. 
I've been to hundreds of concerts, but I got to be honest, I've never experienced a hush one. But my friend Alex, she's a video producer who lives in New York City. She has. We met while I was working for Matador Network, where I directed commercials for brands like Subaru and Southwest Airlines. In between storyboards and scheduling, we'd gush about the latest concert we just went to or the newest album we had on repeat. And one thing I know about Alex, she never leaves her apartment without headphones. Connect with the music and drown out the commute, which can sometimes be dreary, sometimes be wonderful. But a lot of the times it's boring. And so it's a way to make it happier and a nicer experience. And riding the subway is when ideas for music videos come to her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be honest, a cute guy comes on the subway and Taylor Swift's playing. All of a sudden, I'm like thinking about our whole love story, you know? That's one. But I used to be a dancer. So sometimes actually embarrassingly, I will be waiting for a train to come and I'll start dancing or I'll try not to. I'll try to like just maybe like strut my walk a little bit. When you feel that good beat, you got to move your feet. <laughs> Did you please tell me you just made that up? Yes. <laughs> the first time she tried silent disco was with her roommate at Governor's Ball, a three-day music festival in New York. If I was in your shoes, like walk me through the setup and bring me through the whole thing. Yeah, so we found the tent. There was like this large sign that said silent disco. But of course, we would have been able to tell because you just see all these people with the same over-the-ear, like, soundproof headphones that actually are kind of cute because they have, like, a light-up sometimes. So you see all these people dancing, but you don't hear anything. (laughs) You're like, what is going on? And then you see when you enter near the DJ booth, there's either racks or someone hands you a headset and explains to you how to use it. And there's, like, this moment of, like, anticipation where you just see everyone and you're like, okay, what song is it? What are they listening to? And you put it on and then you're there with them all of a sudden. It makes sense. You're just there. You get it now. observer here during a silent disco you hear this murmur you hear people chatting and sometimes you hear them yelling over their headphones or they take their headphones off and then sometimes because they have that false anonymity they're saying things they shouldn't like i where are my mushrooms i can't find my mushrooms so we think of it as it's not a disco it's a broadcast right so cast is part of the way we look at it and it's not silent it's hushed so we call that's why we call them hush casts and you hear the funniest stuff i think it's kind of great for someone who sings along to music and might not have the best voice especially after a few drinks that's a great aspect of it in that you can be singing along as loud as you want and not worry about someone overhearing your voice it's kind of great because also too like if you're trying to have a conversation or you really need to get someone's attention. You don't have to like shout and like blow your friend's eardrum off. Instead, you could just take off your headphones and be like, oh yeah, what's up? In college, I took an intro course to audio engineering where I learned mainly about terminology. I could never fully grasp or believe the explanation behind sound. Surely there's more wizardry at work 
than wavelengths vibrating in our heads, eliciting emotion. So I thought I'd ask Robbie what his take was on the science of sound. There's a lot of different ways to look at it, but the way that seems to resonate with me the most is the idea of the physiology of immersion. We live in a world where everybody is distracted. Everybody's multitasking. You go out on the dance floor at the Fillmore and maybe 20% of the folks at the concert are watching, actively listening and watching the band. And the other 80% are trying to get a drink, trying to meet a lady, something else. So the idea of immersion has always been fascinating to me, including from when I was just a music fan. And I used to get really self-conscious in these giant spaces of full of people and And I had to train myself to just close my eyes and forget about them and just follow the music. And that helped me calm down and kind of reconnect with who I was and what I was doing in the experience itself. What we are challenged with though, is this in this age of distraction from a musician's perspective, how do I maintain people's attention, right? From a producer's perspective, how do we make sure that people left the show and really got to hear and be at the show instead of the whole time they were distracted by other people? And so we've worked really hard to find ways to build that direct connection between the artist and the people that are trying to experience, and not just the artist, conference speakers, folks giving lectures and whatnot, trying to find a way around the age of distraction to a place of a more immersive entertainment experience. The changes in technology have given us new tools to do that. Obviously, wireless headphones being my favorite. You're not hearing other conversations about, you know, maybe that girlfriend drama from the group next door, or even just like the obnoxious guy trying to mansplain Jack White to you. It's just the music, which is pretty awesome. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to the listener having this place where they can just close their eyes and lose themselves in the composition. They can hear the music as it was intended when the producer created it. Some producers spend six months in a studio creating this perfect thing. And then they go to a club and you're, what you're hearing is the sounds bouncing off walls and people are chatting and whatnot. You put those headphones on, you hear exactly what Tipper wanted you to hear or exactly what Il Gates wanted you to hear. And that is a tremendous, tremendous benefit. When you went back to hear the music on an actual stage, were you noticing a difference, like just in terms of how you just interact with music differently, like just festival versus headphones? It's two different experiences, to be honest. Like it depends on what you're looking for. I mean, I think they're both fully encapsulating, but I think in one way, and it's around music, but I think with headphones, that's just music and like, you know, dancing which is like you can do like that's the thing I think for me is like I'm, I'm a big dancer so being able to like move and groove and having my space to do so is a big component for me and I think that's kind of special and I do think that the sound quality is certainly better there's something also about seeing like a live performance you don't go for the sound quality I think is really what it is it's more of like connecting with the fans and the community and the artist. We came across an interesting study that suggested that people who listen to music on headphones move more than those listening through speakers. What are your observations in the field or on the dance floor on that study? 
So I like to think about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Douglas Adams. There was that creature that felt that if he couldn't see you, you couldn't see him. That's how a lot of people act when they put on the headphones. It gives you a sense of false anonymity. You have the headphones on, so you are free. You feel like, especially if you close your eyes, you're free to let yourself go. You don't see that in front of the stages. In the stages, you know, maybe 10% of the people are fully engaged. And it's the same thing in the conference space where you don't hear people coughing or shuffling out of the room. You're getting 100% of what the presenter is trying to convey. And the presenters are thrilled when they come off stage because everybody's really listening. And Alex can agree. I think that there is an aspect of putting on the headphones and feeling like you're back in your own room dancing. And I think it really does go to like that feeling that comfort in a way where it's feeling isolated, but in a group. So I think it's a comfort of having your own zone in your own space, but still being able to connect with those around you. And the headphones they use at Hush, what brand is that? So what we use is essentially what's called an OEM, and then you can customize them however you need them and use them. So two things that we have that nobody else in the States have, we have a conference headphone that we partnered with Silent Disco King and Silent Conference in the UK to bring over to the States. And the beauty of that one is that we can do up to 20 channels at a time. When you have multiple channels like that and the tech side, how are you not yeah, train wrecking? How are you not interfering with other channels? Like what, what is sort of the, the basics there? So the beauty of Silent Disco, we get asked a lot, oh, do, we, do you need Wi-Fi or um, is this Bluetooth? And the beauty of Silent Disco, it's just based on 100-year-old technology. It's just radio. There's this thing called intermodulation. Basically, the more frequencies you have, the more ripples they create in a pond. And they interact just like ripples in a pond to where three ripples could create 24 ripples. What the conference business forced us to do is to get the kind of training and resources that big time conference frequency coordinators have. Sometimes at a conference, will be like 200 wireless mics. At a festival, there might be 100. All those frequencies have to work together. Then you have the Wi-Fi and then you have the RFID people. And so those frequency coordinators are essentially geniuses that use very powerful computer programs to analyze. We don't have, you know, maybe a fraction of those guys' knowledge, but we have enough to pull off what we're trying to do. It goes back to like, in, it's all invisible, you know, right. like when something right. goes down to like troubleshoot sometimes, you know, like yeah. that has to be frustrating. 95% of the time you turn it on, it works. It's the <laughs> other 5% that you earn your paycheck. One great story was uh, when we did lightning in a bottle back in, I want to say 2013, 2014, when they're still in San Diego. And we built this big, beautiful stage. We had everything set up and then we turned it on and it was just like, like, what's going on? And we're, you know, looking around and they had put the cell phone repeater tower right behind our stage. And we went to Jesse and Didi and the, the promoters were like, hey, this isn't going to happen. And I said, well, what do you need? And I said, I, we need a forklift. And they're like, a forklift? What's that going to do? And we went and got a forklift and we picked up our stage and we basically drove it all the way to the other side of the festival grounds, put it down, and had a silent disco there, far away from the cell phone cow. Sometimes the solution is, you know, science, and sometimes it's just muscle. So pandemic hits, 
I'm sure you had a lot of festivals booked for spring, summer. Pandemic hammer comes down on all of us. How did it uh, affect you and your team? Oh, it was it was an ass kicker. You know, we're in the events industry. If there is no events, there are no industry. But for us, the big kicker was was the conferences because it pays the bills for us in a lot of ways. The corporate business isn't sexy, but it really was a bigger driver of us being able to pay salaries in healthcare and this, the things that our little family needed. And it all went away just like that. Everything shut down in March and we're looking at all of a sudden zero revenue. How are we going to do this? We looked into the abyss, you know, okay, what does bankruptcy look like? What is, because there was no real thought of any public relief or anything like that. And then we decided that we were going to fight. And and I think this is really important. Like we made it, we just said, we're, we're going down fighting. We're going to find ways to do events. We're going to find ways to survive. We're going to find ways to be of service to our community. We started working with one a small capacity with a fitness client. Uh, you probably know Soul Cycle, and we ended up doing a ton of work for them at dozens of locations around the country. To where they would just move their studios outside, spread out the bikes, put on the headphones, so they don't have to worry about sound bleed. And and it was tremendous. We also did some driving concerts because we know radio because we're so good at learning about frequencies and big picture broadcast, well, why can't we be of service to all these producers who are putting on driving concerts? So we got our hands on some extremely high-end FM gear and some low-end FM gear for little, you know, little events. And then we decided to put on some of our own in Burlingame by San Francisco airport. We did a 12 show run over three weeks. We had Bert Kreischer and Diplo and Mark Rebier and some live bands and just this amazing one month, crazy, crazy concert series. We built a venue from scratch and learned how to do all of it. We worked with the Hotbox guys who do a lot of cool stuff in the drive-in space and a lot of other spaces. And it was enormous success, enormously successful. As the CEO, constantly forward thinking, visionary of the company, where do you want to take Hush in the next two, three, four years? The next step is going to be finding ways to expand that family and so that we can capitalize on all these new opportunities. We're going to have great new tech. We have a bleeding edge advantage in terms of the headphones we have for the conference space for many years, their silent conference partnership. Now we'll do so with our concert space. Is that going to matter? How do we use them? How do we help promoters and producers utilize this new tech to be really, really creative, right? We have two different projects we're working on that we hope will redefine what these headphones are capable of doing. And then watching as everybody tries to copy it, and hopefully some of them, some of them hire us, right? The hardware is there. It's what do you do with it? How do you create a production commensurate with the new tech? everybody's still tied to that original Bonnaroo paradigm, which was one DJ in a tent, or at, at very least you might get three. What we're trying to allow for is real creativity amongst producers so they can start thinking about their spaces differently. We don't need to have this all around one stage. We could have, for instance, every single stage at the festival could be broadcast and you could walk around from place to place to place you could listen on the sound system or you could put your headphones on and maybe go sit over there in the eating area 
and listen to that stage over there or listen to that stage over there. These sort of things are possible with this new tech in a way that they haven't been. But we've got some ideas for some stuff for next summer that should hopefully blow some people's minds. The key to creating new musical opportunities will be their brand new headphones called Hush Glow, which emanate eight different colors and have up to 12 channels. So when those headphones come in, are you doing quality control? Like, are you the first person to try them out? Every new headphone, we have to test it out and work with it and see how it's not just how they sound and how how they work at a show. It's how they pack, how they charge, how they ship. We have to work out all of those new aspects. You know, a lot of people can buy headphones or have headphones, but running a proper production with them is a whole nother skill set that's taken us years of bad mistakes, learning from bad mistakes to get good at. And so we have a new toy to play with, but we're going we're gonna to be really careful how we roll it out. The first place will be uh, at the iHeart New Year's event in San Francisco will be the first place we're using big numbers. And then we have some pretty big festival bookings for next year that we're pretty excited about. Do you think a Hush concert is a more memorable experience? You know, it was always about creating the perfect set for the perfect moment. I called it electric nostalgia. Look, I would never purport that what we do is better in some ways than what somebody else does. That is in the eye, that's a subjective judgment and it's in the eye of the beholder. This is different and it gives you different types of cathartic experiences. You know, the beauty of it, we're just another amazing option. There are so many people to thank for inventing modern headphones, which were first developed during World War II for intercommunications. Today, Hush is still using them as a way to communicate between you and the music, and also between you and happy humans orbiting around you, all listening to the same music with you. Much like what DJ Celeste Lear from Season 2, Episode 5 is doing with virtual reality, Hush is showing us that the industry is progressing. And it's offering us a new way to connect with music, but on a new plane. Is this unity through invisibility? Like a sound wave, concert culture is constantly undulating. And even though I'll be forever stumped by the science and physics of sound, it's probably best that I just shut up and dance already. ConcertCast is a production of Good To Go Studios based in Ellsworth, Maine, created and produced by yours truly. My co-writer on this episode is Heidi Stanton-Drew. Our editor and engineer is Peter McGill. Special thanks to Robbie Cole, a.k.a. DJ Motion Potion, for sharing his music from Crack and Smack and Gathering of the Vibes DJ sets. And to Brooke Kogel and Bowers PR for setting up this cool interview. Subscribe to ConcertCast wherever you listen to podcasts and find us online at ConcertCast.live. And thank you to everyone for listening. I'll see you on the dance floor.